All right, everyone, and welcome back to the Talking Redbird Baseball Podcast. My name is Lucas Van Pelt. I am your host. First things first, I want to apologize for the long absence. This is not what I intended when I made the podcast, but unfortunately, life comes first. This is a, kind of just a hobby of mine, something I like to do in the pastime. So, you know, when life throws you curveballs, you have to just kind of readjust. And I've had a, a lot of changes in my life in the last, you know, five weeks since I've made my last episode. Me and my wife sold our house. We had to move out. That took some time. We lived in my parents' camper for a while um, while we waited on a house. We're, uh, we're now living in our third location in the past five weeks. Um, I got a job. I quit a different job. It's, uh, it's been a lot of life changes. So I apologize. I don't see anything happening in the foreseeable future um, that would cause this long of an absence again. So I again, I, I want to start by apologizing um, I, to make it up for you, I'm going to try to do more frequent posts. I'm going to try to do an episode after every single series. So, you know, every three, four days, um, I want to be more consistent. I've, I've been itching to get back in. I have so many notes. Um, I obviously have so many games to talk about. Um, I have five weeks worth of games to discuss. So, you know, I'm not going to go through every single game. I'm more just going to go through the last five weeks in, in phases talk about the big storylines, talk about, you know, certain maybe eight to nine, 10 day or game stretches, who's been hot, who's not. I have a, I have a couple segments at the end. I'm going to do, um, an episode or not an episode, a segment of the episode called down on the farm where I'm talking about a couple different prospects. I am going to do a little segment at the very, very end of this episode, um, called, Hey Lucas, please fix the Cardinals in five realistic moves. So that's what I'm going to do. I have everything written in front of me. Um, so yeah, so we're going to go ahead and get started. So the last episode I made was after the Blue Jays and the Braves series, the first six games of the season. We, I'm sorry, the first, um, yeah, we sorry, first six games of the season. We were two and four at the time, obviously not an ideal start that we wanted, but you know, six games in, you're not super concerned about the record and things like that. You know, fast forward to now, I think we're a little more concerned because we dug ourselves a pretty deep hole. It's been a horrible first, uh, first couple months of the season. Now, obviously we're listening, uh, to this episode on Saturday, May 20th. I'm recording it Friday, May 19th. We are nine and two in our last 11 games. Again, that's, that's more recent. I'm going to talk about that. You know, when we, when I catch myself up, but we're going to start all the way back in April. Again, we were, we were two and four at the time. We, you know, a little too early to panic, but our pitching wasn't great. Our offense was pretty good. I think, you know, any Cardinal fan knew that both of those things were going to be the case coming into the season. And at the time, again, no red flags, no panic. But as uh, as April moved along, it, it got a little more worrisome going forward. I think the big story, the first big storyline of the season that really raised some red flags was Oliver Marmol, our manager, blatantly calling out Tyler O'Neill in a post-game presser um, for not hustling. And I think anybody that knows Tyler O'Neill knows that he was not not hustling. I think if you had to put a star or an asterisk next to Tyler O'Neill's career, it's been health. It's been his ability to stay on the field. That's, I mean, he just hasn't been able to. In 2021, he had a relatively healthy season. He had a couple bouts of uh, of a couple weeks on the injured list here and there in 2021, but that was his 
big healthy season and he was able to put forth an an MVP like season he he got some MVP votes he was our he was the Cardinals most valuable player that year and I think you know that's how we wanted him to be going forward last year he wasn't able to replicate it he was injured for over half of the season and um you know as we're sitting here on May 19th it's been more of the same he's been out the last two three weeks and um at the time April 10th is when it happened you know, we were only a week or two into the season so far. I have a couple different issues with it. One, I have an issue with our Oliver Marmol calling him out to the media. Now, do I think he called him out to the media before addressing him one-on-one in the locker room? No, the Cardinals don't do that. They don't do things like that. He had already addressed this issue with other coaches and Tyler O'Neill himself before he called him out to the media. So why did he feel like it was necessary to to again call him out to the to the to the press after the game if the situation had already been handled internally those you know all year long all 30 teams across the major leagues they have spats managers and players get into it a little bit you know you have you have 25 very competitive players being coached by managers and and pitching coaches that aren't sometimes all that older than the players themselves I mean, Adam Wainwright is older than the Cardinals manager right now. That's just how young this guy is. So I took an issue with him approaching it, approaching the media about it if it had already been handled internally. It was just one of those things that I think he didn't need to say anything after the game. The next day, you bench him for once. You bench him for one game. The press and the fans kind of get the point. Like, oh, Tyler O'Neill's sitting today because he didn't hustle yesterday. Then that's how it goes. And then you put him in there after that, and you just move on with the season. But... He approached it to the media. So, of course, the media is going to go right to Tyler O'Neill and ask him for his side of the situation. What happened was Tyler O'Neill defended himself. He said, I've been injured a good part of my career and we're uh, 10 days into the season and I didn't hustle as hard as I could have rounding third base trying to stay, you know, to go home because I didn't feel like I was totally loose and I didn't want to risk injuring my hamstring, which his hamstring was the big reason why he was out so much last year. So I see his part of it. I still think, you know, you're a major league baseball player. You need to always be ready to go in the game and and to give 100%. I don't care if it's April or September or Game 7 of the World Series. That's how it goes. You have to do your job. And so I think both people are at fault. I, I think Marmol was correct in, in benching him and saying, you know, he, the Cardinals have a precedence of, or a precedent, a precedent of, of effort and he didn't meet that expectation. So we're going to bench him for a game. I don't disagree with that situation, but I think... Tyler O'Neill defending himself, he also had a point. So this could have just been totally handled internally. It wasn't. And when Tyler O'Neill defended himself, Marmol got asked about it the next day, and he even doubled down. He doubled down on it and said, I completely agree with my decision. Tyler O'Neill didn't do this, didn't do X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, that's not the expectation that we have for our players, so he's going to continue to sit. And, you know, I think it was just a little bit of a sticky situation. Before this season, if you guys recall, you know, from a couple of my podcast episodes before the season started, I predicted that he would probably be the player that I would rank number one on the Cardinals as most likely to be traded this offseason. I'm sorry, uh, this July during the the, the trade deadline. So I think if that wasn't already the case, it definitely is now because... Lars Newtbar is having a fantastic season. We'll touch more on that later. Dylan Carlson is hitting the ball harder. He's tapped into his power a little bit more this season. He's playing gold glove cover defense in center field. And then I think in in left field, you figure it out. They've Donovan has seen time in left field. Edmund has seen time in the outfield. You have Juan Yepes, you have Alec Burleson, and you have Jordan Walker. You have five left field options in left um, 
outside of Newt Bar and Carlson. And that's not even factoring in, obviously, Tyler O'Neill. So I think, you know, you can definitely get something for Tyler O'Neill in, in July. He only has one more year left of control anyway. He'll be a Cardinal next year, and then he'll be a free agent. And I think if you don't think at this point he's going to walk away, um, you're delusional. He, he's not going to be a Cardinal very much longer. Um, I think the writing is pretty clear on the wall. And it, it all started with this situation back in April. So it, it wasn't a good situation for, for the Cardinals to be in, you know, 10 games into the season. And I think as a player – you want your manager to have your back a little bit more than what O'Neal, or than, I'm sorry, than what Marmol had for O'Neal. He didn't really have his back. Yeah, you need to be called out if you're if you're not putting effort in. But again, it could have been handled internally, and I think some of the other players took notice of that, and um, they had a little bit of an issue with that. So that kind of spiraled the rest of the month. April was one of the worst months in Cardinal history. I mean, it, we had the worst start in 50 years. And, you know, we're slowly starting to dig ourselves out of the hole that we that we dug ourselves now. But again, we're nine and two in our last 11 games. But five games ago, we were on a, th- a, th- a three, four game winning streak and we still had the world's worst record in the National League. And so, um, you know, when it takes a nine and two stretch to not have the worst record in the National League, that's a fairly significant hole that you've dug for yourself. And so, you know, luckily for the Cardinals, the NL Central is horrible this year. You know, even the Brewers who are in first place don't have a great team. Their number two pitcher is out until at least July or August. Their offense is struggling. um, And they're still, you know, they're not very good and they're in first place. So I think luckily for the Cardinals and luckily for John Mozeliak, um, the the door to the division, I'm not going to say is wide open because as we sit here today, the Cardinals are on a hot stretch and we're still six, six and a half games out of first place. So it's going to take doing this for another month or two to, to say that the division is wide open. But in other divisions, the Cardinals would be already be 12, 13, 14 games out of first place. So, um, luckily, again for John Mozeliak, we're in a we're in a bad uh, division. So, so the Tyler O'Neill situation happened at the you know the first couple weeks of April wasn't a great start to the season. We continued to start losing games, and then all of a sudden, mid April, mid to late April, Jordan Walker got sent down, and and that was a very puzzling decision. And for me, it was you know I've, I've talked about it with a couple of my buddies. And, and our main question is, you know, what was the expectation? Jordan Walker was 20 years old. Or I'm, I'm, what, not, he's not was. He is 20 years old. You know, thinking back to March, spring training, when they were debating, you know, do we, do we send him down to AAA? Do we bring him up? Obviously, they chose to bring him up. And that's great. I agree with that decision. He played his way to the major leagues. He, he had an opportunity and he took it. You know, I've already talked about that a lot. But what were the expectations? I mean... As of now, the day that Jordan Walker got sent down, he had a 274 batting average and a 718 OPS. Do those numbers jump off the page at you in three weeks? No. But are they both above league average? Yes. The only thing dragging him down was his defense. He, he technically has a negative war, wins above replacement. I've talked about that stat before. So, you know, overall, sure, he's a negative player, but it's only his defense. So... I guess when they send him down, they could have just been like, you know, we're sending him down because of his defense. His offense has no issue, blah, blah, blah. No, they just, they didn't really give a reason why they sent him down. He had a 12 game hitting streak, the longest in Cardinal history. And it seemed like every single day he was, he had um, a sound approach to the plate. There's not very many 20 year olds that have as low of a strikeout percentage as he does. As you know, again, he wasn't drawing a lot of walks. But when you're 20 and trying to fight for a spot, you want to swing a lot. You want to do damage. You want to try to get hits. That's how you're going to stay in the big 
leagues and, and, and get a big contract down the road. You're not going to do it by drawing walks. You know, that can, that can be developed over time. He's only 20 years old. So I guess I'm just confused at what the expectation was. If he was batting 200 and was barely ever getting on base, then I'd be like, absolutely. He's too, he's not, he wasn't ready yet. Send him back down for a couple months. You know, let's readdress it, you know, in July, whatever. But he was batting 274. He had a hit in almost every single game that he was playing. So if you're going to, and to top it all off, Jordan Walker has never played in AAA up until he got sent down. Last year, he was in AA all season. And then he jumped straight to the major leagues this season. He had, so I just don't know what the expectations were for a 20 year old that skipped AAA. Um, I think most teams would have been very happy with the the first three weeks of Jordan Walker's career, Um, but apparently the Cardinals were not happy enough with it, and they sent him back down. And again, we have the depth to where it doesn't really matter. We still have Newt Barr, Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Burleson, who's doing much worse than Jordan Walker. Don't you know? That's something I'll address here in a little bit. Um, You know, Donovan, Yepes, Edmund—they can all play the outfield. So it, it, it. I guess I didn't hate the decision, but I didn't necessarily agree with it. It's whatever. Just I'm over it. He he's not doing very well in AAA now. I think they crushed his confidence. He's going down there hitting a buck fifty in in three more weeks. Um, they, they sent him down with the purpose of increasing his launch angle, which again hypothetically I can't say I disagree with because he is smoking the ball. He led the team in exit velocity. He's hitting the ball harder than any other t- player on the Cardinals. But he was hitting it on the ground too much. His, his launch angle was negative, which means he's hitting it on the ground. And so their purpose of sending him down was they want to increase his launch angle, hit balls in the air more, so that way he can tap into his power a little more because he's already hitting the ball super hard. But it's just right at him because it's on the ground. If he can elevate the ball a little more, he'll run into some more doubles and home runs, things like that. Again, in a, in a perfect world, in a hypothetical situation, that's not a horrible idea. So he can tap into his power a little bit more, but he's 20 years old and skipped AAA and he was batting 275. I, that's, that's not that bad. I think that's something that you just want him to work on at the tri- at the major league level. Cause he's better than Alec Burleson. He's better than Juan Yepes. At this point, he's better than Tyler O'Neill already. And he was hitting better than Dylan Carlson at the time. So he's your second best outfielder and you send him down. I just, I don't necessarily, uh, agree with it. So it was definitely a puzzling decision. So that was the second big storyline in April that I think a lot of fans were a little unhappy with and we continue to lose. So I think if you, you know, you send them down, you give other people some more opportunities and maybe it sparks a run and maybe you win three or four games or maybe it sparks something. No, we lost five games in a row after we sent Jordan Walker down. So it had the opposite effect. So I think fans were just getting a little more uneasy as, as April went along. We had a three and 13 stretch, which was not great. That was about as rock bottom as you could get. I remember texting my buddy every single day being like, is this rock bottom? And he's like, eh, just wait till tomorrow, you know, and surely, and you know, sure enough, the very next day we would lose again. <laughs> it was, uh, he'd be like, okay, well now it's rock bottom. And I'd be like, eh, just wait till tomorrow. And we would lose again, you know, and it just, it, it kept happening and it, um, yeah. So then you get to the third big storyline. And this is probably the biggest storyline of April was the Wilson Contreras situation. So this storyline was a rather big one. I had Cardinal fans that don't even really watch the games much texting me about it and asking me, you know, what was going on. And to be honest, I didn't have a whole lot of answers. It never made sense to me. I noticed that, you know, towards the late, late April, third week of April, that Andrew Kisner was starting a lot. I noticed, you know, over an eight, nine, 10 game stretch, he was starting 
about half the games. And I just remember texting my buddies and I'm just confused. You know, we signed an $87 million catcher in the offseason. Why is why is he DHing half the time? Or he's only catching half of the games. I was like, if that's the situation, then you know, we should one of our top prospects is a catcher in AAA. Like why why is he not up? He could be up starting half the games. You know, I Andrew Kisner has never even been league average. So bad doesn't even continue to or you know, bad doesn't even really touch his performance. It's it's horrible. He's never been league average any season of the of his major league career and he's 29. And and so I was just very confused. He I started to notice it again the third week of April. And then that's when the bombshell dropped that Wilson Contreras is going to be pulled from catching duties. Katie Wu is the Cardinals beat reporter for the, the athletic.com. I highly recommend getting a subscription. They have uh, um, they have wonderful articles and they, they cover it better than any other news article or sports, sports media um, website that's out there. And she dropped a bombshell of an article that Wilson Contreras is going to be pulled from his catching duties stating that the pitchers were having some issue with his ability to call games. Um, he wasn't paying enough attention, blah, blah, blah. And again, none of it really made sense to me. And then I think a couple days later, again, Andrew Kisner continued to play, continued to play, continued to play, continued to play. And he started to hit a little bit. He, he, he shut me up that way. But our, uh, our starters continued to allow five, six runs a game. They were pulled in the third, fourth inning. They, they were, we were struggling to even have a quality start. And so I'm like, okay, well, clearly Kisner's not the answer either. And finally, John Moselock did an interview saying that the last 20 years they got spoiled with Yadier Molina and that they didn't realize the effect that having Yadier Molina for 20 years had on their pitchers and that it was a shock to them that the pitchers weren't able to pitch as good of a game with someone else behind the plate. And to that I say, are you freaking serious? I almost dropped the F-bomb, sorry. Or how, how do you not know that Wilson Contreras is not Yadier Molina? Are you, are you stupid? There has been documented data and articles written for the last seven years while Wilson Contreras has been in Chicago that he doesn't call a great game. He loses focus. He does X, Y, Z. He struggles to call a game. You know, that's been documented for his entire career. His offense makes up for it. He's one of the best offensive catchers in the league, as we're now seeing. He had a two-home run night last night. But this is the guy that you invest $90 million in? Maybe do your homework in the offseason. No shit that he's not Yadier Molina. What, I, just, I just cannot believe that he said that. I don't, it, does, it, it never made sense to me. Um, and so this is the first time, I think, in my adult life that I've ever watched the Cardinals. And I've had numerous people tell me this that you can just tell the Cardinals have never had to deal with um, panic before or rush. You know, at one point, again, we were on a 3-13 and 13 stretch. We had the worst record in the National League. We were 8-20 and 20 at one point. You know, that's not just hovering around 500, not performing like you think you are. That is just being plain bad. So you can just tell the Cardinals front office has never had to deal with a sense of panic before because all of a sudden Wilson Contreras is the scapegoat for the pitcher's inability to, to pitch a clean game. That that's ridiculous to me. He's the guy that you signed for the next five years and you're already kind of putting him on your, on your shit list. It's not a good look. I commend Wilson Contreras. He handled it with maturity. He he said, you know, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'm going to be the best DH that I can be until they want to put me back behind the plate. 
lucky for Wilson, it only lasted about 10 days, and they put him back behind the plate. And we've won our last three games, and the starters have not allowed more than two runs the last three games. So um, it seems to be working. Wilson has a little bit of a vote of confidence back. I think the pitchers and him are are developing better relationships. So hopefully we can put this behind us. But it was um, it was very very clear that this was a John Mozeliak failure. You know they they didn't do their homework this past off season. They didn't. You know how, how do you not know that he's not one of the best game callers in the league? I mean again it's been documented. You sign him for his offense and whatever he can gives you on defense is a bonus. You know I'm not in the Cardinals front office and I know that. You know so. And so surely that they know that, but why make him the scapegoat? Because you didn't improve your starting rotation all offseason. Last season, the season before, hell, even the season before, you knew that the starting rotation was the weak spot of the season. And they did zero to address it this offseason. Zero. So your pitchers are not even that good. So it's not Wilson Contreras' fault that you didn't improve your pitching staff at all. So I could keep going on and on about it. I, I don't mean to keep you know beating a dead horse, but... That was the third big storyline in April, and I think that is where we finally reached rock bottom. Now, I will say that when they took Wilson Contreras out, put him in the DH spot, and Andrew Kisner started at catcher, we did start to win some games. Wilson Contreras did hit a little bit. He's he's cooled off again. Um, but, you know, it did, I don't know how, you know, I'll eat my words, but it did give us a little bit of a rhythm. We, we were able to start winning some games, and again, the last 11 games, we're, we're on a 9-2 and two stretch. We... We took two of three from Chicago and Wrigley. We swept. We swept uh, Boston at Fenway. Um, we just took two of three from Milwaukee at home, and uh, we just beat the Dodgers last night. So we're we're playing very good teams. I mean, you look at the Brewers, the Cubs, the Red Sox, and now the Dodgers. Those are four, you know, pretty big, pristine, well-known franchises that, outside of the Cubs, all of them have a winning record. So. The fact that we're able to go nine and two against pretty good teams is is a good sign. Again, we're still seven games below five hundred. It's going to take a little more time, but if we can keep playing like this, again, lucky for us, our division is not good, so we can continue to kind of crawl crawl out of it. Sorry for the audio switch. I'll have to finish the rest of my podcast with uh, with a little bit of a different audio setup. But just kind of repeating what I just said, the fact that we were able to win all those games you know, the last week, week and a half against pretty stiff competition because the schedule does get a little easier. Again, the day I'm recording this, we have game two against the Dodgers coming up tonight. We face them again tomorrow and Sunday. We have the Reds and the Guardians coming up next week. And then we finish the month of May off with the Royals. So, you know, obviously this series with the Dodgers, the Dodgers are fairly good. They're number one in their division, yada, yada, yada. The next three series, the, the competition level does taper off a little bit. So I'm hoping that the Cardinals can keep the can keep the foot on the gas, you know, keep our keep our uh, intensity level where it's at. The offense is really clicking right now. You have top to bottom people performing. You know, we beat the Brewers 18 to one the other day. We won last night 16 to eight. I mean, normally in years past, the Cardinals score more than seven or eight runs and we score zero the next two days. It's just, it's been kind of a running joke and you know, last year and then definitely this year, I just, I don't see that being the case anymore. This offense is, is top three in just about every category in the, in the national league. And our run differential is one of the highest in the division, which is usually a good indicator of, of how we're playing rather than what our record is. So for instance, the Brewers, are in first place. They're about five games above 500. Their run differential is plus two. 
which means they've only scored two more runs than they've allowed in those in those same amount of games. The Cardinals is plus 19. And, you know, we're six games below 500. So, yeah, obviously winning games is the only thing that matters. So I'm not sitting, I'm not trying to, you know, give the Cardinals a participation trophy um, by any means. I'm just saying that plus 19 is a little more indicative of, of how we're playing, especially the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, hopefully that can continue the next however long with, again, a little bit of a competition let off the next week or so. So the yeah, kind of ironing back to what I was saying earlier, the offense is really, really heating up. One through nine, there's not a guy that's that's really, really struggling. The month of April was, you know, I'll start by talking about Arenado. The month of April was rough for Arenado. Um, and he was not hitting the ball hard. He was not pulling it. He, the launch angle was bad. You name it, offensively, Nolan Arenado did not have it figured out at all. And it was statistically is not usually indicative of where Arenado is. In years past, he's more of a first half April. You know, last year he won the National League Player of the Year in April. He, he usually gets off to a strong start. And I don't know if it was the World Baseball Classic or – you know what, what you know what it was, but he was not able to to figure much out in April. He and other players have have said this in interviews and um, other podcast episodes and articles, things like that. That as uh, as Arenado goes, the Cardinals go. You know, I mean, obviously he hits three or four in our lineup, so one of our biggest name players. So that's kind of a duh moment, but he really does keep the heartbeat of the Cardinals' offense alive. I mean, when you have someone that's hitting fourth right in the middle of your lineup that's that's batting, you know, 210 with a 500 OPS. It's that's not going to get it done. And the past 3 weeks he's been absolutely on fire. He's uh he's kind of running away with the the National League player of the month in May. He's he's really turned a corner. He's there was an article about a week ago that I read that you know what he figured out. He didn't go into detail about what it was, but he watched hours of video on his swing and uh it was while the Cubs were hosting us about a week, week and a half ago. That's when he noticed something mechanically in his swing and he, he fixed it. And, um, you know, he homered all three games right after that at Fenway Park. And he's just been on an absolute tear. I think he has six home runs in his last seven games, if I'm not mistaken. He's um, he's almost tops in the Cardinals in home runs, RBIs, all those things. And, and that was with a horrible April. So, you know, if he keeps up this pace the rest of the year, he's in for another another, another huge year this year. So, and, and it's not a coincidence that the, that the offense as a whole has really picked up, you know, kind of following his lead. You know, our, our, uh, our leadoff hitter the last three weeks has been Lars Newtbar, which if you remember in my podcast this offseason, he was who I wanted the Cardinals to start the year leading off. And they, they, they did the Brendan Donovan experiment. He was good for about four or five games. Um, and then he's tapered off a little bit. He's, he's not as effective as he was last year. He, uh, he's trying to tap into his power a little bit too much. He's trying to do what Matt Carpenter did about five years ago, where, you know, he's spraying the ball to all fields, getting deep into three, two counts, taking his walks, being, a, you know, giving, giving the Cardinals a scrappy at bat every single plate appearance. And he's kind of throwing that away for, to try to run into some power a little bit more. And again, the first week or two of the season, you saw the repercussions of that. He was spraying doubles. He had two, three home runs the first week of the season um, which was great, and then that kind of tapered off, and then he's been a little bit of a different hitter. The last couple of weeks, he's it's it's more you know it's back to where he was before. He's still running into a little bit of power. He had a mammoth of a three run home run last week, but 
you know, if you've watched the games the last week or two, he's he's getting into three three two counts. He's taking his walks. He's spraying the ball to left field. He's he's fouling off a lot of pitches, and that's the best version of of Brendan Donovan that we have. And so, um, hopefully, he can kind of meet in the middle somewhere. I I want him to keep his whole field, you know, punch the ball to the opposite way approach, but also tapping into some power when they throw it, you know, 92 down the middle isn't going to hurt either. So, but anyway, Lars Newbar took over his spot at the top of the lineup. Lars Newbar has been incredible. He has a 425 on base percentage, which he technically doesn't qualify for stats for the stats yet because he missed, you know, the first two weeks, two weeks, three weeks of the season. If it was, it would be number one in the league. Um, Incredible, leads the Cardinals in walk rate. He has an 820 OPS, playing really, really good defense in the outfield, being exactly what you want, you know, Lars Newbar to be. You have Goldschmidt having a, a having a wonderful year. He has a 912 OPS, picking up where he left off last year. You know, not as not quite as effective as he was last year, but you know, still in line to make the All Star team. He's going to receive some MVP votes if he finishes this year with with the stats that he has right now. Um, and, and, you know, he's 36, so let's not, let's not over uh, let's not overestimate where Paul Goldschmidt is at in his, his career. You know, if he's 31 with these stats after an MVP season last year, I'd be like, okay, you know, maybe taking a step back or whatever. Maybe he's playing through a little bit of an, an injury. He's 36. This just may be who he is now. You know, he's still taking his walks. He's still smashing the ball, hitting, getting, running into some home runs. He doesn't have as many RBI opportunities because they moved him up in the lineup because of his ability to draw walks and get on base, which has not necessarily hurt the team overall. I would say it's hurt his counting stats a little bit. Again, he's not, not going to have as many RBIs, things like that. But what he is doing is Lars Newbar and Paul Goldschmidt both having an on-base percentage around 40%, leaning off in front of Gorman and Arenado is is really what's keeping this offense alive. In and so that brings me to my next point, Nolan Gorman. He's been an absolute revelation. I would say he's been the team the team MVP so far this year, six weeks into the season. He is he leads the entire major leagues in slugging percentage. He's number two in the league in OPS, um, you know, not just on the Cardinals, but the entire league. You know, leads the Cardinals in just about every offensive stat that exists, home runs, RBIs, OPS, all those. He's number one. So he's uh, moving him to the number three spot in the lineup has been huge. And, you know, I don't I – don't, think I gave him enough love the spring, you know, Jordan, the spring training was kind of the Jordan Walker show. And, you know, I, I did talk about it in one of my, one of my couple spring training episodes that he was sneaky, having a really good uh, spring training and preseason. And he's, uh, he's making me eat my words a little bit. I definitely didn't talk about him enough, but I do want to give him a, I want to give him a little bit of love right now because he deserves it. He's uh you know, he was always our top prospect. He was drafted in the first round. We knew he had prestigious power. We knew all those things, but he struck out a ton. In the minors, he always had a strikeout percentage above 30%. You know, it was always his Achilles heel. But if he's going to hit you 25 to 35 home runs every season, you can, you know, you can look the other way at a 30% strikeout rate. But this year, he's even stepped it up even more. It, you know, now that's down to 23%, which is pretty close to league average. So it's he's not even – he's eliminating that as a weakness. Obviously, 20, uh, 23% strikeout rate is still not, you know, great, I would say. Like, an elite is – Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, theirs is like 12, 13, 14, 15%. Lars Newtbar, right? Those are, those are elite strikeout numbers. But if Nolan, Ar- Nolan Gorman can be league average while giving you elite, elite, top of the league power, he's going to be an all-star. And that's exactly, and he's showing that that's what he's doing. You know, he, he's upped his walk rate from 8% to 13%. He lowered his strikeout rate last year from 32 to now 23% this year. So 
both of those things going in the right direction, putting him number three in the lineup and giving him every single day at bats has, has just proved, um, proved to be very beneficial for the offense. And I think he's, he's here to stay His uh, his offensive profile looks very sustainable. You know, if, if he can keep up a 12% walk rate and, and a 23, 24% strikeout rate every year, the rest of his career, um, he's going to be a special, special player for the Cardinals for the next, you know, hopefully decade plus, you know, so we'll, uh, I just wanted to give him a little bit of love. He's worked on a lot. Even his, you know, he's DHing a lot, but even his defense looks a little good, you know, pretty good, a little bit better is what I meant to say. He's, you know, he's going to his right, turning double plays quickly. He's always had a good arm because he came up in the minor leagues as a third baseman. So, you know, translating over to second base, he's obviously going to have an above average arm. All those things is, you know, is he as good as Donovan, Edmund, DeYoung, Arnado, Goldschmidt? No. So I think the Cardinals ideal lineup has him at DH, but if not, I think, you put him at third, put him at second. He can definitely hold his own. You know, he's not as he's not as much of a liability on defense as he was. So, just kind of going down the lineup and giving you guys a little update on where the offense is overall. Number four brings us to Nolan Arenado. So, you know, I've already talked about him a little bit, so I'm not going to you know do too much. He he started off as a horrible April, really picked it up the last uh, the last eleven to twelve thirteen games, and he's been incredible. If it, hopefully this Nolan sticks around for uh, sticks around for a long time. I also have an overs bet on him. I took beginning of the uh, beginning of the season over 28 and a half home runs. Um, I thought the line looked a little fishy because he's never had a year, a fully healthy year in the, in the major leagues where he's not hit 30 home runs. So it was confusing to me that the line was at 28. So I took the over. Um, I was sweating pretty hard last week, April. I was like, Oh, I'm not sure if he's going to even hit 28, you know? And, uh, and now he's had six homers in his last seven games. And, uh, he's on pace for, for 37 home runs right now. So it's looking good. Um, just wanted to throw that in there a little bit. So so next is where the lineup kind of tapers off a little bit. I think the, you know, Newbar, Goldschmidt, Gorman, Arenado, one through four is is a, is a very stable part of the lineup. And I think where, when it comes to five through nine is where it's going to shift a little bit. You're already seeing that a little bit with Tyler O'Neill going down. He's on the injured, injured list right now. Dylan Carlson is on the injured list right now. Tommy Edmond, as we speak, is not in tonight's lineup because he had that collision with, with Newt Bar last night. It, um, it looks like he's going to be fine, but, you know, obviously he's out right now. So those are three outfielders right now that are on either on the injured list or on, you know, day-to-day taking a couple games off. So that leaves our outfield a little bit more limited. You have Newt Bar in center, and then you're, you kind of have Edmond, Donovan, Juan Yepes filling in the gaps. And then we just called up Oscar Mercado the other day. And kind of fun fact about him, we, we actually drafted him. Several years ago, um, let him go. The Indians signed him. He had a really, really nice year in 2020 with the Indians, and um, then he kind of cooled off a little bit, and then they designated him for assignment, and we picked him right back up. So he's a, he's a pretty athletic outfielder, can kind, of a, can kind of fill in the gaps a little bit again. Burleson is just not really seeing much, uh, seeing many at-bats lately. That's one thing that I'm going to talk about later. I kind of have a who's hot and who's not segment that, um, you know, again, I'll fill in the gaps of what I'm talking about now, but Burleson's definitely on the – on the who's not side of those uh, side of those things. So five through nine, again, it's going to change every day. You have some combination of Tommy Edmond at short, Paul DeYoung at short, Donovan at second, Donovan and left, Donovan and right. <laughs> um, a lot of these, a lot of these guys are injured. So I'm not going to talk about the, the rest of the lineup, but it doesn't really seem to matter. Whoever we're plugging in seems to be getting hits. Um, like I said earlier, even Kisner's making me eat my words a little bit. And, uh, he he's been he's been hitting well. I don't want to say he's good. He's been hitting well, which is still 
eh, a little bit of a stretch for him. So Paul DeYoung is coming up and, and, and doing great. He had a big home run last night. Um, yeah, our offense is just clicking one through nine. So, so that's it about my lineup, um, my lineup checkup. I'm going to now go to the rotation and the bullpen. So with the rotation, you have the same five, or as of last week, you had the same five that you kind of ideally started the year with. You have Michaelis, Flaherty, Montgomery, Wainwright, and then Steven Matz rounding out the five. Now, Wainwright obviously started the year on the injured list, so that's where Jake Woodford got some got some uh, tastes and some spot to, spot starts here and there, and um, hopefully that never happens again because he was he was horrible. He was one of the worst qualified starters uh, the month of April. So so hopefully he's in that swingman bullpen role. It, it's where he needs to be. He had a two ERA last year, so he's shown that he can be effective in short bursts. But uh, sorry, short bursts. But he just can't he can't go out there for five six innings. He's he's uh, he's John Gant two point for Cardinal fans from a couple years ago. So I'm just gonna go through them quickly one by one. Michaelis started out really, really bad, but he's heated it up the last three, four starts. Hopefully he can continue that. Jack Flaherty was, um, you know, one of my favorite Cardinals last couple of years. Just has the swagger on the mound, all those kind of things. And he's he's starting to become one of my least favorites because he just, he has an ego about him that I just don't think is very deserved. Um, I'm all for personality and swagger and cockiness on the field because, you know, to, to succeed and be a major league baseball player or this, you know, this this applies to, any sport at the highest level, you have to be a little cocky. You have to be overly confident. You, you just, you have to be. And so I loved Jack Flaherty, that part of him. But when you have a five, six ERA three years in a row and you can't stay healthy, um, you know, maybe dial it back a little bit. It's, it, it's not as fun. It's a little more uh, of a stretch when you're not performing. Um, but his last start was incredible. He uh, pitched seven innings, 10 strikeouts, didn't allow a run, only a walk or two. Um, you know, that's the Jack Flaherty that we need to see. For a couple months, and then maybe I'll jump back on board. But, you know, showing signs. Jordan Montgomery was our really only stable starter the month of April, but actually his last couple starts haven't been that good. So you have starters kind of flipping places, and that's just kind of how a season goes typically. You have starters that do good and, and then do bad, and then do bad, and then do good. And it just it, it keeps you stable throughout the whole season. Wayne Wright's come back and looked freaking horrible. I hate that. He's one of my favorite Cardinals to ever live. He you know, I don't really know the Cardinals without Wainwright. The first year I ever really paid attention was 2004, 2005, and that was right around when he came up. And I don't, again, I don't know a cardinal, a cardinal season without without Wainwright. But he's just um, he's not aging very gracefully. He he had an okay start. He only allowed two runs, I think, his last start. Um, but if you watch the start, it looked much worse than that. But we'll see. You know, the counting stats and uh, you know how many runs you allow is really all that matters. So. So we'll see how his next couple starts do. And then what does that lead us with? Uh, Steven Matz, who's been uh, absolutely horrible. Um, I, I have nothing else to say. He's been horrible. I'm moving on. So the next starter that I have is the only other starter that has made starts this season is Matthew Libertori. He's made one start. He's looked incredible. There's nothing else to say. Um, I was not really on the Matthew Libertori train as much as I was last year. If you remember back in my, pot, in my uh, prospects episode, I had him all the way down at nine. I, you know, he, he had a lifeless fastball. He wasn't able to locate it. His other pitches didn't really feed off it as much. I thought he was going to get, you know, destroyed this season. And he has proved me wrong. Every single pitch of his is a mile an hour or two higher than what it was. His curveball is sharper, has more RPMs on it, which stands for rotations per minute. His fastball has developed into more of a sinker type. 
So, you know, again, has a little more movement and it's faster. And he's able to, he's able to locate it a little bit more. His first month in AAA has looked great. He got called up recently because the Cardinals are going to go with a six man rotation to finish off the next couple weeks. Depending on how his next start goes, I would hope that they leave him in and take Matt's out and put him in the bullpen. It, you know, it just, it really can't go on much longer. I don't know how many more starts Steven Matt's can make while Matthew Libertor is sitting right there, you know, shutting out the Brewers. So we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. That that's the end of the rotation part. Now we're going to get into the bullpen. I'm not going to spend much time on the bullpen. I just kind of want to rank the guys. Obviously, Helsley's number one. Gallegos is number two. Chris Stratton's number three. And then you have Fruit Higgins having a better year than last year, but still not great. You have Hicks, Cabrera, Verhagen. You know, they're all middle of the pack. I wouldn't really trust with a big high leverage situation. One of our best relievers is currently in AAA getting stretched out to be a starter right now in Zach Thompson. I don't really agree with that situation. I think – while I'm not a, I don't love our, our rotation right now. I don't think it wins us the World Series. They're they're all at least healthy, and then you have Matthew Libertor at, at six, who can give you, um, who can be a very very effective six starter. Who you know I would rather have in front of Matts and other people as well right now. So you have, we have six healthy starters who can give you over 100 150 innings right now, and I, I just think Zach Thompson would be much more needed out of the bullpen. So if you want to stretch him out to be a starter, I can't say that's a horrible idea. But do it in the do it in the major leagues. Start to give them start to give them six, nine, fifteen outs at a time, instead of ha- not even having them on the major league roster. You know, you can't tell me that Zach Thompson wouldn't be one of our one of our top five uh, top five relievers at the at the moment. So don't really agree with that. But as of now, he's in AAA, so that's you know why I don't run the team. But that's definitely a change that I would make, and and I'll be talking about more about. I'm going to end the in the, in the episode with, you know, five decisions that I would make if I was the GM right now to try to fix the Cardinals and Zach, not, not to spoil one of my first ones, but Zach Thompson being called up, um, from, from Memphis, from AAA is absolutely number one on the list. So, so before I get to there, we're going to do a couple other segments. I, w- I want to highlight some people that are, that are playing out of their ass right now. I've already touched on most of them. So I'm going to kind of gloss over it. And then I want to talk about some guys that are making an ass out of themselves by how bad they're playing. So, we're going to talk about the good first. You know, one is just I, – I, I don't, I don't want to do our offense as a whole because that's kind of lame. I want to specifically talk about the one through four in our, in our lineup right now. You have Newbar and Goldschmidt leading off at a one-two. Both have a 40% on-base percentage or higher. Leading, you know, getting on and setting the table for Gorman three and Arnado four. And I think as of right now, you guys can see that it's clicking on all cylinders. But – it just it needs to continue, and I think if you can put a five through nine that looks like Wilson Contreras, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill slash Jordan Walker, you have Edmund and Donovan at the bottom of the lineup. They're kind of being second leadoff guys for you know because Newbar and Goldie are one and two in our lineup, but they can both run into some power too. So I think you have to have Edmund and Donovan there at the bottom of the lineup just about every night. So. I'm not sure if there's a one through nine that's that's better in the league, and I think our stats are proving it. So just want to give a shout-out to the offense. Again, I've talked about all this already, but just wanted to gloss over it again. And then, you know, some other other guys, Matthew Libertor, he's been incredible in AAA this year. You have Ryan Helsley, Tommy Edmond, Brennan Donovan, Paul Paul DeYoung, all giving us great innings, great at-bats. DeYoung's come up and been a revelation. He, he's on a little bit of a cold streak right now, um, but, he, you know, he hit, a, he hit a big home run last night. So, you know, the tale of DeYoung's last couple seasons is that he comes up from AAA, 
has a really hot first five games and then goes one for 30, you know, and then can never really figure it out the rest of the season. So um, it was nice to see, you know, DeYoung go through, I think it was two for 21 the last week or so. But then again, he went two for four last night and hit a big home run. So, so hopefully he's able to bounce back with his timing and figure something out in his swing that maybe he's, he's, he's messing up. So, so that, that's it for the good section. Now we're going to get to the bad. The bad is just all pitching right now. I don't know of another way to describe it. I'm not trying to be too negative, but, but really it's, it's the pitching as a whole. One through five, our starters are not good. Michaelis and Flaherty are starting to figure it out a little bit, but I need to see another three, four starts of that to really not feel as negative as I do this off season. And I think in every podcast episode that I had this off season, I talked about how we needed pitching and it's, it's even more evident now than it was in February. And it was pretty damn evident in February as well. So um, that needs to change. Tyler O'Neill. I don't really know where to start with Tyler O'Neill. I talked about him earlier this episode about the hustling situation. I want him to be good so bad. He's, he's buff. He has a personality. He's a great offensive, uh, you know, power speed force to have there in the middle of the lineup plays incredible defense. You name it. O'Neill's good at it. You know, he's, he's, he's as close to five tools you can possibly get. He's just never on the damn field. I don't, and, and I'm starting to get a little sick of it. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that the Cardinals can piece him and a couple prospects this, this July together for, for a really good starting pitcher. That's what I would do. Obviously, I don't run the team, but that's what I would do. It, there's a little bit of an outfield logjam right now anyway. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it, he's, I think he's reaching his uh, – he's overstaying his welcome as a St. Louis Cardinal pretty soon. You know, and he could – again, he, I, hope he, I hope I'm wrong. I hope he makes me eat my words. I hope he comes back here in a couple weeks and has an incredible end of May, early June. I, I want that obviously more than anyone, but um, I'm, I'm just going to, I need to see it before I believe it. So, so that leaves us with two players that I really want to highlight. One is Alec Burleson. Now, Alec Burleson is one of those guys that I really don't understand why, but he is a front office darling. They love him. Apparently his makeup is good. His attitude is good. His work ethic is good. And those, that's great. I, you know, that's fine. That's what you want in a baseball player. But he is giving, he's getting opportunities before other players that I think are much more deserving. Alec Burleson hasn't really played much in the last week. And, you know, why Jordan Walker is still in AAA, but Alec Burleson and Oscar Mercado keep getting outfield at bats, I, I don't understand. Yeah, Walker's not doing great in AAA right now, but his confidence is probably crushed, which, I, again, I talked about earlier this episode. Bring Jordan Walker back up. He's better than Alec Burleson. He's better than Juan Yepes. He's better than Oscar Mercado. He's better than, you know, most of the outfield options that we have right now. And Alec Burleson's just sitting in, in the bench. He's sitting on the bench. He's slow, doesn't run the base as well, doesn't play good defense, and he's not even hitting good right now. So I don't know. Send him down to AAA. Let him play every day down there. Hopefully he figures something out. He was incredible in AAA last year. Hopefully he, that sparks something. Maybe he's doing a couple things wrong. I don't know what the situation is, um, but he needs to figure something out. And then last would be Jordan Hicks. Um, probably statistically our worst reliever so far this season. He has the most hittable 102-mile-an-hour sinker that I've ever seen. You, you see it on Pitching Ninja, which is, a, which is an account on Twitter that highlights, like, ridiculous pitches. And he's on it just about every single day. He, he throws 102, ridiculous vertical left-to-right movement on a sinker, nasty slider. But it's so hittable, and I don't understand. And I think it's because he can't command it. Pitchers just let him throw one down the middle, and then they attack it because he can't throw that sinker for strikes. He can't throw that slider for strikes unless it's right down the middle and so you know at 102 with wicked movement it's impressive but hitters are damn good right now so they're gonna you know they're gonna wait and patiently wait for one down the middle and attack it and that's what they're doing until he learns to to go east to west and north and south with that sinker and slider a little bit 
um, I think he's going to have the struggles that he's at. And he's actually a free agent after the year. So I don't know what they're going to do with that. Maybe they'll let him walk. Maybe they piece him in with a, with a Tyler O'Neill. I would say Jordan Hicks and Tyler O'Neill, if you take their sh- short-term stats, aren't very good. But you take what Tyler O'Neill and Jordan Hicks can become, and you piece that together with a couple lower-end prospects, it could get you a damn good pitcher this, this July. So um, I'm hoping that, that that's the case. That's, you know, in a perfect world. I don't, I don't know. But he's just been – he's been horrible. So that needs to improve as well. So that's just my little segment, good and bad. I wanted to highlight a little bit in each one. And last but not least, I want to end with a segment just – if I were be, to become a GM for one day, what are the five – and I may do four because it's, it's hard to come up with – I've been toying at it the last couple hours. It's, it's hard to come up with five without kind of repeating myself because mine are broad-stroked. But the first one I want to talk about is Zach Thompson. That's my number one. I would call him back up. I understand if you want to stretch him out as a starter. Again, can't say I disagree with it, but do it in the major leagues. Start to give him low leverage situations where he's going two, three innings at a time. You're worried about Matthew Libertor being 24, and you know a 24-year-old is not going to give you 200 innings. So let, let Matthew Libertor pitch into the fifth, pitch into the sixth, and then immediately piggyback Zach Thompson to get you to the ninth inning. That, that, I don't know. It's, it's much more effective to me. Then having him start games in, in AAA, I don't understand it. He's one of our best relievers. He could be helping the Major League Club right now. I mean, you have prime years of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Every single thing needs to be done to try to win a World Series this year. Every single resource that the Cardinals have at their disposal needs to be utilized in the proper way this year to win a World Series. You only have a year and a half of Paul Goldschmidt left unless he signs an extension. You only have one year left of Wainwright. You know, you have Arnado signed for the next five years, which is incredible. But, you know, it's just – I'm not going to say the window is closing because the Cardinals have Jordan Walker, Gorman, Edmund, Brendan Donovan, you know, a lot of these guys that – you know, the, the window is going to be wide open for the Cardinals for a while. But I, you're not going to have two superstar players like Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnado on your team for, you know, for, for a long time, again, unless Goldschmidt signs an extension. So – Everything, every single thing needs to be utilized properly, and I think Zach Thompson being in AAA is a complete waste. So that would be the first thing that I do. Now, number two would be I would stop putting Andrew Kisner in the lineup, and that's the end of my sentence. I would not put him in the lineup as much as he has been. It is ridiculous. Again, he made me eat my words a little bit lately. He's been decent offensively, um, but the, the pitching has not gotten any better. He's never been league average. He's not a great defender when you look up the advanced metrics of – of, of blocking and framing and um, pop pop time and arm strength. You know, Wilson Gutierrez blows him out of the water across the board. And if the big issue is Wilson Gutierrez being able to call a game, well, that's what Pitchcom is for. Let Ollie Marmol and Dusty Blake call the entire game and just have Wilson Gutierrez put the damn fingers down. You know, it, Wilson Gutierrez doesn't need to call the whole game. So just why Kisner continues to bat is and start behind the plate is ridiculous to me. And I know the reason why Ali Marmol has said numerous times is usually against lefties, they want Contreras and Kisner hitting because they're both right-handed hitters. And it's just ridiculous to me. The number one hitter on AAA Memphis right now is Luke Baker. For those of you who don't know him, he's a 27-year-old. He's not necessarily a prospect just because 27 is fairly old when it comes to a prospect. But he has almost a 1,200 OPS in Memphis right now. He leads all of AAA in home runs. He has almost 40, 40 RBIs. He's raking in AAA right now, and he hits from the, you guessed it, the right side. 
You have Juan Yepes sitting on the bench, usually against lefties. He bats from the right side. You're Jordan Walker in AAA, who, you guessed it again, bats from the right side. So why not have Contreras catch in any of those previous guys I just named, DH? You can't tell me that that's not a better option than Kisner starting and wasting Contreras at the DH spot. It just makes no sense to me. That would be the number one thing I would do. Keep him on the bench if you want. Let him start once every 10 to 14 days to give Contreras a day off. And that would be the extent of how much Kisner would play if I was the GM for one day. So my next one would be I would keep Matthew Libertor in the rotation. And I would try out Steven Matz in one to three inning spurts in a little bit of a long relief option. So what I just talked about with Zach Thompson is what the Cardinals want to do right now. This little uh, segment that I'm doing is what I would do if I was the Cardinals. What I would do is I would keep Zach Thompson in one inning spurts in the eighth and ninth inning, give him high leverage situations along with Gallegos and Helsley in the back of the bullpen. And then I would put Steven Matz in the bullpen for those one to two to three inning spurts that the Cardinals apparently want Zach Thompson to accomplish this year. I would flip-flop them. Matthew Libertor got called up, like I said, because the Cardinals have a stretch of 21 games in a row, which we are on game five of right now. So the next, you know, two weeks, the Cardinals are not going to have a day off. So they're going to go with a six-man rotation right now, which is why they're calling up Matthew Libertor. They're going to do a six-man rotation. Now, once that is up, the Cardinals, the Ali Marmal got asked, what do you plan to do once this stretch is over? They said that they will see what, how, you know, Libertor pitches the next couple weeks and they will put send him back down or send him to the bullpen so that Steven Matz can continue to make starts. And that, my friends, is lunacy. That is ridiculous. The definition of, of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Now, I will say, as a disclaimer, I want Steven Matz to prove me wrong. I want him to go out and throw a no-hitter. I want him to go out and throw two nine-inning you know, shutties. That's fine. I want that. But if I'm a betting man, which I am, it ain't going to happen. Keep Matthew Libertor in the rotation. He doesn't need to prove anything else. He's 24 in AAA, has great stats. All of his mile per hours are up. His RPMs are up. His location is better. He's not walking as many guys. He's striking more guys out than he ever has. All those things are happening right now. Keep Libertor in the rotation until proven otherwise. And then last but not least, I would swap Jordan Walker for Alec Burleson, which I've touched on a couple times, so that's not going to become a huge surprise. Alec Burleson is just kind of rotting on the bench right now. Again, he's not fast, doesn't play good defense, and he's not even hitting well right now. Let Jordan Walker come up, start to play, you know, even if it's every other day or every four out of six games or something. Let him play the majority of the time. His confidence is at an all-time low in AAA right now, and he just doesn't need to be there. So swap those two. Oscar Mercado keeps starting, which, you know, whatever. He's a toolsy, fast, uh, competent outfielder. But those type of players belong on the bench. Jordan Walker needs to be starting. So just to go over them again, I would call Zach Thompson back up and give him higher leverage situations at the back end of the bullpen, eighth inning, ninth inning, that kind of thing. Number two, I would stop putting Andrew Kisner out there, period, whatsoever. Number three, I would keep Matthew Libertor in the rotation, get, put Steven Matz in the bullpen, and then you can send down Jojo Romero, Zunega, someone like that out of the bullpen. And then number four is I would bring Jordan Walker back up and give Alec Burleson a little taste of AAA. Hopefully by the end of the year he can figure something out. But he's just not doing it right now. So those would be the four things I would do. Um, you know, in my opinion, those are the four smartest things that they could do. <laughs> so uh, that's how you would fix the Cardinals season. But it's looking like it's already starting to be fixed. You know, again, we're just to, re just to recap, we're 9-2 and two in our last 11 games. 
We have a game here in about an hour against the Dodgers. Um, a couple of my buddies are going, so um, they're all Dodgers fans. So I hope that the Cardinals, you know, win about fifteen to zero again. Um, but yeah, that's that's going to be it for today's episode. It's, it was a little bit longer of an episode. I again, I know I like to stick to the 35, 40 minute range, but I had a lot to catch up on. I apologize again for the big break. I'm going to start putting episodes out a little more frequently now that things have settled down a little bit and I have a little more time on my hands. So um, that's going to be it for today. Again, again, Dodgers the next two, uh, next three days. And then we have the Indians coming up. We have the Reds coming up. Um, things like that. The schedule is going to settle down a little bit starting, you know, we're, gonna, we're getting into the dog days of June and July. Um, there's going to be a lot of roster turnover. But so far, you know, knock on wood, uh, that was glass, but same concept. The Cardinals, uh, the Cardinals have been pretty healthy outside of their outfielders. In, and even then, the injuries aren't that significant. Tommy Edmond is out of the lineup tonight for a, you know, a strained abdomen that doesn't look to be that big of a deal. Dylan Carlson just kind of tweaked his ankle, so he'll probably just be out the weekend and he'll start playing again next week. Tyler O'Neill's making rehab starts soon, so he'll be back soon. So, you know, overall, again, knock on one, the Cardinals have been fairly healthy. So, um, again, we need this performance to keep up. We're still six games out of, of the division. We're coincidentally also six games below 500. So um, the division, again, not wide open, but the Cardinals, it's definitely there for the taking. They just got to seize the moment. Um, on paper, they're the best team in the division, and they just need to show it. They need to start playing with a little swagger. Um, that's one thing that I love that Wilson Gutierrez brings to the brings to the table. I know a lot of old school fans don't like um, players being that showboaty when they hit a home run and running around the bases celebrating things like that. And yeah, I couldn't disagree with that really any, anymore. I think if I'm on the baseball field, putting myself in the pitcher's shoes, you know, it would piss me off. But that's why he does it, and he's been quoted saying that's exactly why he does it. Every single series, he wants the other team to hate him as much as possible, and I think that's just a little bit of an edge competitively the Cardinals don't really ever have you know they're a pretty reserved team outside of Newt Barr and Wilson Contreras so I think the, you know those two presences in the lineup is, is definitely helping turn that page for the Cardinals a little bit I think Wilson Contreras is starting to show his own prove that he's capable behind the dish his his relationships with the pitchers are just going to improve all season long you know starting out eight and 20 is definitely not what I expected out of out of the Cardinals this year but I, to be honest, I expected a little bit of struggles in April. It's hard to go from, from the last 20 years having a first ballot Hall of Fame catcher who's like a second coach on the field to starting completely over with another catcher. So, you know, I think, I think it'll start to iron itself out as the season goes on, and uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. So, again, Dodgers the next three days. I plan on doing a podcast maybe late Sunday or Monday. I have a couple graduation parties this weekend, so I'm not going to have time to – take notes and stuff. I'll, I'll, I plan to do it Sunday evening or maybe early Monday morning, something like that before, uh, before the series changes. So I'll catch back up with you guys then. As always, please leave a like, please follow the podcast so you can get notifications whenever I post episodes. Please let me know any feedback, things that I can improve on, questions that you may have, segments that you want me to add. You know, I'm an open book. Again, at the, at the heart of it, this is just for fun, but I do want it to be the best that I can possibly, uh, that, or I want it to make it the best it can possibly be. So so uh, so please reach out, and uh, I think that's it. Have a good day.